Great job, kids. They are amazing. It feels good to be here. Um, now the, the third time with our choir. I thought you were going to join me up here. I was, I was getting excited there. That's my wife, Rachel. She and I moved to Durban, South Africa 12 years ago uh, when our four daughters were seven, five, two, and six weeks old. And so you can give my wife, Rachel, one more hand. She's a champion. Um, and uh, we, we weren't really probably the people you would have predicted that would do something like that. Um, I, I was definitely not on that track. Um, in fact, Rachel went on a mission trip to South Africa when, when we were dating. She was 19. And she came home and, and said, oh, man, you know, the, there's so many kids over there. The, the children there just need help. I could see myself going there and, and working with those kids. And, and at the time, I was, I was in pre-med. I was studying to be a pediatrician and, I, you know, wanted to help kids just in that way. And the whole time she's talking to me about this mission trip, I'm thinking, man, this chick is crazy. She's dating the wrong dude if that's where she's, you know. So, but then, you know, years later, God ended up calling us to Durban, South Africa. But I, it was not something we expected at all. Um, like I said, no one would have predicted. I'm, I'm the oldest of 14 kids. Yep, my, my mom is actually here this morning. She's a legend. I love you, mom. And my mom and my mom and dad are both here. Um, every every time one of us moved out or got married, they adopted another kid. And and so in in you know at the time we all lived right there you know right close to home and and um, so when God called us to Africa, we we just it was it was something that was very unexpected and. And God chose to do it in, in a very unusual way. We didn't go with an agency or a denomination or anything like that, the, the traditional route. Um, we basically, when it, when it came right down to it, what God really called us to do and, and showed us to do was just show up. Um, I'd never been out of the country uh, except for Canada um, before my, my first flight to Durban, South Africa, and we, we showed up. Stayed in a hotel the first couple of nights and, and found a, an apartment and a car and found a minivan in the newspaper and the engine blew up about six months later. It was a complete disaster. Um, Rachel fought snakes and monkeys while I was, as she says, while I was out saving the world, she was protecting the kids from snakes and monkeys. Um, but God was in it. God was in it. And, you know, I, I came across... Uh, an obscure verse that I, I hadn't really noticed before in the book of Ruth this year. And it was, it's the part of the book of Ruth where Boaz has gone to the gate and he's got to do this transaction because actually in order for that famous love story to come to fruition, there was someone standing in the way. There was another redeemer that had the first right to redeem Ruth first. And so Boaz had to go and take care of that first. And once that was done, all of those people who surrounded that transaction at the gate, and they took off a shoe or something, some weird cultural thing. And, and so they said, then they began to pronounce a blessing. And they, they, they put a blessing on Ruth. And, and, and they said, you know, may she be like Rachel and Leah. 
And of course, those two were the two that the entire nation of Israel had come out of. And what a, what a great thing. These two legends of, of the kingdom of God, and they pronounced that on Ruth. And then, and then on Boaz, they, they pronounced this, this blessing of Perez. And, and I had just always read right over that, but may your house be like the house of Perez. And I thought, well, now why would they pronounce the blessing of Perez on Boaz, and who is that? It's kind of an obscure name to just pull out of the hat. And I went back and looked, and, and Perez and I was the same as Boaz. They had something in common because Perez was the son of a prostitute. He had come from that profession. And if you know anything about Boaz, Boaz was the son of Rahab who had let the spies in and then let them down and been saved out of the city of Jericho. And, and so then I realized, oh, that's why they gave Boaz that blessing because sometimes people don't know how to deal with you. They don't know how to size you up. They don't know necessarily what category to put you in. And, and we kind of all do that, I think, if we're honest. When we meet someone or when we hear about someone, we kind of look for some clue to kind of figure out who is this person and where do they fit? What, what box do I put them in? What, what category do they fall in? And we can do that all kinds of different ways. Sometimes we do it by someone's race. Sometimes we do it by their last name or where they come from, what city they were born in. Sometimes it's, it's what university or college they went to. Where did they graduate from? Where did you go to high school? And we, 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 we just feel more comfortable if we can put someone in a box. They thought they were putting Boaz in a box, but they didn't realize that, that Boaz was going to bust right through that and become actually the, maybe the greatest metaphor for the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, later on and be known for that. Not only that, his grandson would be Jesse, whose son would be King David, the greatest king that Israel ever knew. And, and so, you know, God doesn't always take the, the straight route. And if you look at Perez and Boaz, Neither one of them was the first choice. Ruth was married before to someone else. And, and, and Perez, when he was born, he was a twin. And, and his twin brother stuck his hand out first, and they tied a scarlet thread around his wrist to say, oh, this one is the one that's going to be the firstborn. This is the chosen one. And they tied the scarlet thread around his wrist. But the hand went back in, and Perez came out first. And they were shocked to say, oh, I guess this is the firstborn, the one that will receive the position in the family and, and the, the wealth and, and the estate will be transferred to this one. It didn't look like he was going to be the one, but he was the one. When we moved to Durban, we were trying to break into all these different communities, all these different slums, and we were praying about one in particular to get in, and it just seemed like the door was closed in this particular community. And we just began to pray that God would open a door. And little did we know, six hours away, in the middle of the night, God came in a vision to a Zulu pastor. And this pastor, his name is Thomas, and he saw me in this vision. And I was surrounded by children and speaking in English in this vision, and, and Thomas didn't really know English. But he saw me in this vision, and God told him, you need to go and help this man. He's working with children. You need to go to Durban and help him. This man's living six hours away from Durban. 
Got up the next morning, told his wife, and you have to know Thomas. Thomas is in his 60s, had polio as a child, and his feet are deformed, and, and so he, has to, he walks with a very pronounced limp, and he's an old man, hardly speaks English, but he came to Durban, and he literally began going door to door, city of three million people. He began going door to door, asking people, do you know a white man who speaks English, who's working with children? People said, no, no, and he started just door to door, and as he would go, because he was a pastor and a Christian, he would pray for people and, and preach the gospel. And in that very first week, he prayed for a lady who was going to have surgery the very next day on a tumor on her brain. And the woman was instantly healed and didn't need the surgery. The husband was so grateful that he gave Thomas a small house. And he looked at his wife and they said, well, God has provided and we'll stay. We'll keep looking for this white man. And he kept going door to door. And months this man is going looking for this white man who speaks English, who's working with children because God has sent him to help me. And one day I was sitting in a, in a city council office waiting to have a meeting and I'm sitting in the lobby with some other people and, and in walks this man with a limp. I'd never seen him before, but he walks into the lobby and he goes to the receptionist and he says, he gives his question. Do you know a white man? who speaks English, who's working with children. And the receptionist said, well, yeah, he's sitting right there. And Thomas limped over to me, and this is after months of searching. And he said, hi, my name's Thomas. God told me I'm supposed to help you. And he really didn't know how, and I didn't know how, but the next Saturday morning, I picked him up, he came to our kids club, and Thomas ended up being the key that got us into that community that we'd been praying about. Started a new church in Durban where some of our kids, even in the choir, attend to this day. He's gifted in discipling teenagers, especially young men for Christ. Now, I got to be honest. I wouldn't have tied the scarlet thread around Thomas's wrist. If I would have seen him on the street, I wouldn't have picked him as our next staff member. Okay? But that scarlet hand got pulled back out and Thomas stepped into that place. Because that's who God chose. You know, as I look at our young people that God is beginning to raise up now after 12 years in Durban, South Africa, I see God choosing. I don't know why, I don't know how, I don't know the reason behind it, but for some reason, God has pinpointed the slums of Durban, South Africa to begin to raise up the next generation of kingdom leaders in this world. I don't know why, but that's what he's chosen to do. And by showing them and demonstrating to them the love of God, he is pulling out their talents and their abilities and their futures and their destinies as they become part of this family. Kids are just, just desperate to become part of Key of Hope. And that's what you all help us do. Expand this family. Start new programs. Because I'll be honest, with 2,000 kids, it's hard. 14 was hard enough, Mom. 2,000 kids is, is hard to make it feel like a family. 
And so we create little families all over the place. We have after-school tutoring classes and, and choirs and sports teams and all kinds of things. I had one kid come up to me. He, he desperately wanted to be in the after-school tutoring program. And we didn't really, really want to make a stigma like it's for the kids who are failing. Or, so we just, it's just we don't really emphasize that. And this kid kept coming up to me every week as I'm doing my home visits. His name's Mawande. Uncle Dan, Uncle Dan, can I please be in Hope Academy? The, the after-school tutoring, I said, Mawande, you know, there's not space, or I would say, maybe, maybe next term, or, you know, I kept putting him off, putting him off, and finally, he wouldn't leave me alone. So I, I, I took him aside, I said, Mawande, Cope Academy is for kids who are struggling, like in English, or failing math, or something like that, that you're a smart kid, I don't think you need to be in Hope Academy. Oh, okay, okay, Uncle Dan, all right. So I kind of forgot about it, I thought he did too. Until six months later, he comes running down the path. I was doing, Uncle Dan, Uncle Dan. He's holding a piece of paper. Uncle Dan. He comes up to me. He's out of breath. He's kind of a chubby little kid. Hands me his school report. He says, Uncle Dan, I failed math. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I don't think you get him on one day. Uh, I don't even know if he can sing. I put him in our junior choir just because I didn't want him failing out of school. But kids are becoming part of all these little families, and God is raising them up as leaders. And as our choir comes back onto the stage to take their place to sing one last song, I want you to take a good look at the next generation of teachers. We have an architect here. We have a pilot, a future pilot. We have future social workers. But even even deeper than that, there are future husbands and wives here who are going to raise up godly families as mothers and fathers and lights in their community and in their nation who will carry the torch of the gospel to the next generation as they begin to demonstrate what the love of God looks like. Give one more hand to the Key of Hope Choir.